what we got to talk about this morning. Is there any? I feel like I'm, I'm forgetting something. No? We're good? We're right on track? All right, why don't you guys open your Bibles to James chapter 4 with me, if you would. James chapter 4. I, um, I felt kind of rusty putting together a sermon after like five weeks. And I got a little excited, and God gave me a whole bunch of stuff. And my, my goal this week in this sermon was, tear it down, Carl. It's going to calm down a little bit. You know, you're excited to get back in there, but just, just keep it to the point. Don't get too much stuff. So I got a lot of stuff. So maybe you want to tell the person next to you, uh, let's pray that he ends on time. Okay, real quick, just give, just give that little, yeah, let's make sure he ends on time. Let's pray for him. Um, I got a lot of stuff to say, but I'm really excited about this. James chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 13 to 17. And we're talking about control this morning. You know, as the question was, what do you wish you had more control of in your life? You know, there's, we know already where the, the sermon is going, right? We have to give God control. Obviously, we're going to talk about that. But how many of us in our lives, we still really wish we could control things? And we try to control, like, our hair, you know? Or, I mean, I, I have control of my hair. I'm just no control. Just let it all go right now. But I wish I had control over waves. I wish that when I had a day off, the waves would be the absolute best they could possibly be because that's when it needs to line up. I took a two-week vacation, staycation, hoping to get in the water and all this, and it was windy and cloudy and rainy the whole time. I was so bummed. I was at home watching the surf contest at the North Shore because it looked good on the North Shore, but I didn't want to drive all the way to the North Shore. You guys know how lazy I am. Yeah, right? It's, it's nice weather out there, but on my side of the island, come on, where's the weather? And it wasn't until I came back to the office that it was the most beautiful day ever on the bay. I come back to work, and I, I'm up here, and you know we have this view up here. I turn around, and I'm just like, oh, God, why now? I wish I had control over the waves and the weather, and I wish I could do this. But in our lives, like, there's relationships. You know, I was, I was sharing with my friend Steve this morning. I wish I could control my kids a little bit better. There's times when my teenage daughter, she's just a teenager, right? And I'm just her parent, and that's how it goes. And I'm like, I wish I could control this a little bit better. But see, the goal is in our life is that we'd actually be people that would be trying to let go of control and give it to our Heavenly Father that cares about us, who's got a plan for us. His ways are better than our ways. Amen? Amen. Don't you guys kind of agree that God's a little bit smarter than you? We say that, but we want control, right? And today what we're going to be talking about, what James is challenging us to do, is to realize and remember that we are not in control, that we serve a mighty God, that we pledge our lives, that we surrender to. Remember this now. James is writing to Christians, okay? So he is in Jerusalem, keeping the, the church together. Persecution came. Everybody scattered out all around the Palestine area. And he's trying to write to all these guys and go, remember that you're a Christian, that you love Jesus, and you're supposed to live like it. And so we've been reading in the book of James. It's real direct. It's real straightforward. But he's trying to go, come on, guys, remember who you are. Live like it. And so he's not out there trying to, to necessarily win the loss. He's writing to people like us that need to be reminded to, like he says today, you're not in control. Let go of control. And today what he gets into is the focus of money. Oh, how many of you guys just went, ouch. Ooh, I don't know if I want to hear about that one right now. Here's what I know. How many of you guys had a great Thanksgiving? You guys have a good one? Amen. Yeah, Thanksgiving's good. You know what's so such a bummer about Thanksgiving is it's so short nowadays. You know, that, that the world has stolen the longevity of Thanksgiving away from us, right? Because Thanksgiving comes, we're excited, we're like, God, look at all this you've blessed me with. We get all like thoughtful and we get thinking, we start taking inventory of our life. Oh, thank you for my family. Lord, thank you that, yeah, times are tough, but I got a roof over my head. 
Thank you for the friendships that I have. Thank you that I'm able to have this food that's on the table right now. Some people don't have this. God, help me to be thankful. And it, it kind of puts our focus back on God and, and, and going, God, you have control because look at all this stuff you've done for me. It's all because of you. Right? The original Thanksgiving was a time of thanks to God because the pilgrims came and they survived and they made friends with the Indians and they taught them how to, this is corn, this is maize. Right? You know, they taught them how to farm and fish and all that. And it was a, a thing of thanks, thankfulness, Thanksgiving. The problem is, what happens nowadays, uh, Thanksgiving falls on a Thursday, what do we call the very next day? Black Friday, Friday, right? And instantly, from that night, from 12 a.m. midnight, all of our thankfulness disappears, and what do we get into? Money mode, savings mode, deals mode, right? With Thanksgiving, it's like barely we get time to enjoy it, and instantly the world is shoving money on us again as our focus, right? Wouldn't you guys agree? Because you got, because, I mean, I mean, how many of you guys, come on, you were out there early morning, come on, admit it, Black Friday, yeah, right, none of you guys were. If you were not on Black, on Black Friday, I guarantee you were online on Cyber Monday, right? Because now the world is throwing all of these things at us to get us off of the whole, I need to be thankful to, for what I have. God is the king of my life. He has given me so much. And instantly the world is stripping that away so that we're like, I need to get the best sale. I need to manage my money the best. I need to, and it, it focuses us back on Monday, right? And we get Black Friday, Cyber Monday, which leads to Guilty Tuesday, which leads to Broke as a Joke Wednesday, which leads to depression and start drinking on Friday. No, hopefully not that bad. But it's, it's bad, yeah, because our focus gets off of God and our focus gets on money. And what James is going to be talking about today in the book and what I, some other verses I got from Jesus and what my hope is for you is that we need to be people that use money as a tool because we have to be good stewards. That we need to use it, but not let money control us. But instead say, God, you control me and you control my money. And I need to use it for the right purposes but I, I got to make sure that I'm giving you control, surrender, just like the baby we dedicated. God, he's yours, really. I'm here to manage him, but he's yours. Use him for your purposes. Help me to use him. Same thing with the money. And James is going to get into that. Jesus said this, and it's one of the verses we're going to read a little bit later. But Jesus said in Matthew 6:21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So God knows where our heart is at based on what we focus on, what we treasure, what we value, what we spend on. Now, I'm not saying Black Friday is such a bad thing or whatever, but when we get focused and consumed with money as a controller of our life, then something is wrong. We're here to use money, but use it in the right way. Um, I really have a heart to see our church become more of a giving church. I really have a heart to create a culture of generosity in our church life, in my own personal life, definitely. But with this, this verse that James is going to talk about today, what Jesus is saying is, I want to be known as a generous church, don't you? Because the Bible teaches that when we give, God gives back, so we have more to give away again, right? And it's not that I give so that I'm blessed and I can keep, but there's a cycle of generosity that God gives to his people. There's a promise that if you give, if you, he says it in his word about tithing, he says it about being generous, he says he'll always provide enough back so that we can give out again, so that we're, we're pressed down, shaken together, and spilling over into people's lives again. I want us to be known as a generous church. I think that if we want to grow and that we want to be blessed, our first thought should be not like what the world says, save and shop and hoard, but we need to give away 
because the concept of God is different from the concept of the world, is to get more, you got to give more, right? To be blessed, you got to first be a blessing. And so I, I was just kind of taking inventory of our church the other day. I was thinking, I was writing down some stuff. How are we doing? I want to look at all the, the areas where we're giving, and I want to be excited about that. I want that to motivate us to be even more giving. I look at the Thanksgiving meals that we gave away. Anybody there help out with the Thanksgiving meals at Ben Parker? That was a good thing. I heard about it. I heard that over 400 meals were given away. That they served people at Ben Parker. Then they drove to places like Makapu Beach Park, out to Kahalu, looking for homeless people all around, meeting up with people. And we gave over 400 meals away. And I just think, good, we're, we're starting to get there. We're starting to get into that, that culture of generosity. Um, the Operation Christmas Child. How many of you guys gave boxes away to that? Did you know that we totally hit our goal, 3,000? It was looking kind of scary, but we pulled it. 3,000 boxes. Isn't that good? For our church, our side, that's awesome. That's big. See, we need to be excited about being givers because everything that God's given us isn't ours to hoard. But hey, if you have enough to give to bless people in need around the world, send them a shoebox. Get them plugged in. Go bless other people. I thought about the time that we did the the free water bottles to Kaneohe. Anybody a part of that? That was fun, man. That was fun. All we did was we bought tons of water bottles. I don't even know where we bought them all. Probably sold out Costco or something. But we were standing down on the intersection in Kaneohe and people would just drive up and we were just blessing people. Here's a free bottle of water. People are trying to give us money. Oh, here, here's for your charity. Nope, we don't want your money. No, no, here, uh, you know, you're doing a good thing. No, we want to be known as people that just give once in a while just because we're Christians and we're called to give. Does that make sense? Not because we have any type of mission or purpose other than God said, be a giver, be generous, so go give. So it was nothing big. It was a bottle of water, but it's kind of changing the culture. I look at the blood drives that we do. The, the, the Hawaii Blood Bank loves us. We bring the blood, blood bank truck up here, the blood mobile, like four times a year, quarterly. And we, every time we, we fill up all the time zones. People are trying to, oh, I'll give blood to Oh, we're full. And we give tons of blood. We're saving lives. The Kanye cleanup we did, I went and I walked the streets. I don't, I don't even know what it was for. It was for some, what was the name of it? Kahiao Project. It was like a big project. All I know is... I was trying to give and give back to my community by walking the streets and picking up rubbish. And there's some pretty gross stuff that you guys must throw out your windows because I was over there picking up some sick stuff. There was like a dead cat eyeball out. Eh, you know, and I'm like, oh, man. But you know what? It's for the community. I'm loving. I'm giving back. I'll pick up this and that cat. Someone else got to get that. But I'll, I'll do this thing. And I just, I was just, I'm just, I want our church to be a generous church. Anybody with me in this? I get to take a trip to the Philippines my first time in February, paid for by Compassion International. They're paying for all these pastors to go over there because they're trying to promo and trying to say, look at there's a world in need out there. Can you bring it, this need, this thing that you see, back to your church and help support all these kids and sponsor these kids from Compassion International? And I used to sponsor a kid a long time ago, and I, God was already working on my heart a few months back saying, we should offer that. Not as one more thing. Some people see it as this. I come to church, there's one more thing they want my money for. No, no, God is telling me, make it available so it's one more area where your people can be blessed because they have one more opportunity to practice giving, to practice becoming a giving church. Oh, we already do tithes and offerings. We already do this. We already... Yeah, but just have another option for someone else to be blessed because they had a heart of generosity. Is that making sense? So I get to go to, to the Philippines, and I was already sold on it. So we're going to be doing that. We're going to be sponsoring kids. Um, I love the fact that when we take offerings, 
for Joe Onasai starting Destiny Christian Church over there. And he's, do you guys know that he's doing really good? He was in Jarrett Middle School. He outgrew that. He's on UH Manoa campus now because he's growing. Isn't that good? Something to praise God for. We had a hand in that. Isn't that cool? Joe called, I called Joe the other day because I'm having him speak at a men's breakfast. Guys, he's coming out January 7th, I believe, to speak at a men's breakfast. But he just said, hey, thank you guys. He's calling on the phone. Hey, Carl, thank you guys for believing in us. Thank you guys for being generous. All this blessing that we have, we want to make sure you know that you share because you were part of making it happen. Doesn't that feel good? I mean, shoot, I gave money into that offering basket and I don't even think twice because I'm so stoked. And there's another church reaching different people than our church reaches in a different part of the island. We're all on the same team. Praise God. But I like to talk about all of this stuff because this is what James is talking about. He's talking about the money that we give, the, the time that we give, just the blessings that we are to others, God is going to bless us. But on the other hand, God expects it. James is writing to Christians saying, remember who you are. Remember to not be focused on money. Remember that this is what's normally expected of people that love God, that God has given his life for. He gave his son on the cross. He saved you of your sin. He's given you eternal life. Are you surrendering everything in your life to him? And so let's, let's get into this James thing and see that we have little control over our plans. James 4.13 says this, Look here. When he says look here in the original language, it's really saying, now go. He's, he's really like challenging people, and he's really just a heavy exclamation. Hey, hey, listen up. And he's like really drawing attention. He's saying, look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town, and we'll stay there for a year. We will do our business there and make a profit. And in the original text here, in the Greek, where it says do business there and make a profit, it basically is saying this. It's saying people who are focused on making and managing money. People who are driven and controlled by money. That's what he's saying. So he's speaking today. If any of us have slipped into that mode, James is going, I got to say something to you guys right now. And again, he's talking to not the unsaved that are evil out there. He's talking to Christians, right? He's going, hey, some of you guys are slipping up. Let me say something. Let me get your attention here. If you're focused on money too much, I got something to say to you. And see, here's the first thing I just want you to write down in your notes, real simple. Don't make money the focus of your life. It seems obvious, but write it down because you need to remind yourself. This is what James is reminding us of. Don't make money the focus of our life. See, money causes stress in our life. When we focus on money, it causes undue stress. It causes sickness. It leads to drinking and drugs because you're trying well i gotta like i'm stressing because i'm broke so i need something to kind of fill the void and make me feel better it causes suicide do you know this in america the number one cause of divorce is money related problems money related problems is the number one cause of divorce in america and we can say oh so and so cheated and this and that but even that a lot of it stems from the root problem of how people are feeling over their money and their financial situation it's the number one, you ask counselors, the number one cause of divorce in America is money, is money problems. And so we got all this stuff to deal with. And if we focus on the money, then we're going to get what the money stress gives us, which is problems, which is stress, which is all of this. But James instead is telling us to focus on God. He says this in verse 14. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. Except today I woke up late and the fog is still here, Yeah. What's going on? It's all gray. I feel like I'm back in California. I'm praying against it. God, sunny days, please. But he says this about our life. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? It's just like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. What you ought to say 
This is just a straight command from James, but he's speaking of what Jesus taught us. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or do that. See, if the Lord wants me to spend money on this, then I'll spend money on that. If the Lord wants me to save money on that, then I'll save money on that. If the Lord wants me to go here, do this, do that, I better check with him before I do anything. He says, otherwise, verse 16, otherwise you're boasting about your own plans and all such boasting is evil. Remember, he's talking to Christians. He's saying, when you get into this money-hungry mode where you're focused on, I'm going to make and I'm going to save and I'm going to control and I'm going to manage, God's going, you're, you're missing it. You're boasting that it's all you. And the word evil here actually means arrogant, but it has to do with being self-reliant, self-confident, self-centered, and self-ish. Where the focus is, I'm in control. And James is saying, we got problems, guys, if we're Christians and we call ourselves led by Jesus Christ and following him, if we start thinking we're going to we're going to control everything. Here's the thing, second thing I want you to write down. Make sure your plans are God's plans. Make sure your plans are God's plans. Why? Because God's plans are guaranteed. Your plans are not guaranteed. You manage your money. You manage your life. You manage your relationships on your own. That's good, but it's kind of like good luck. I hope I'm good enough and smart enough to do this stuff. But God, on the other hand, makes promises to us. Here's a promise he has, Jeremiah 29, 11. This is God talking. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, right? God's plans are saying, I know what I'm doing in your life. I got plans in your life if you let me do them. I got plans. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Are your plans, are my plans guaranteed in my life? Think about that. The plans that we would have for our relationship, for our career, for where our job is at, for our school, for our, our friendships, for all that we do, are they guaranteed to give you a future and a hope that they're going to be good plans? They're not, right? You wish that they were. I wish that they were. But I know that on my best day, I'm not that good. I'm not that smart. And see, God is over here going, but I know the plans that I have for you. If you let your plans become my plans, then they're going to be good. It's going to give you a future and it's going to give you a hope. And here's James saying, don't be focused on money. Be focused on God. Let God, we should be asking ourselves, if the Lord wants me to do this, then I'll do that. You know, how many of us even take the time to pray over every decision we make? We, we think we do, we say we do. But see, if you're not taking it before God, then it really is just your plans. There's a lot of times like, man, something spontaneously pops up. It all looks good. I'm just going to go for it. And God's going, yeah, but even in that situation, check with me. Check with my word. You've been reading the word lately? Does it match up the decision you're about to make? Does it match up with things that you learn in my word? Well, not necessarily, God, but it's so good. God's going, do you want the guaranteed plans or do you want the plans where you're gambling on and you're hoping that they're going to be okay? Am I, am I getting through to you guys today? We've got to line our plans up with God's plans. We've got to ask him. See, I'm a, I'm a researcher. I don't know about, about you guys, but whenever I buy something, I'm all over the internet. I'm on Consumer Reports. I'm a full researcher. Anybody else in the house like that? You're like, you really do the homework, right? My, I mean, it'll be this bad. My wife's cooking, right? And she'd be like, man, I wish I had a new spatula. I'm like, what? New spatula? <laughs> Spatulas, you know, ergonomic shape, cheap price, best material. Quality. And I'm going at it, and it's just something dumb like that. My wife always teases me like, okay, we want to buy something, but I know you need like three days because you got to do the whole deal. And I run it all through all the sources and everything. 
And then anything that I do, I, I do the research. But God is saying, hey, before you make any decision in life, and James is saying how you spend your money, not be money hungry, is make sure that your plans are God's plans. So what we ought to do is, yeah, do the research, be a good steward and all of that. But we ought to be, number one, making sure, God, do you want me to have this? Do you want me to have this spatula, God? You know? But <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but how awesome would that be if you could take it all the way down to micromanaging that small of an item and saying, God, do you want me to have this? It sounds silly, but how much better would our lives be if we really checked with God and God is guiding us and directing us and saying, no, it's not the time for you to take a loan out on a car right now. No, this isn't a good person to go get involved in a relationship. And there's some reasons why. Look in my word. I've given you instructions right there. Check with your other godly friends. Are we making sure that how we manage everything in life, not just our money, but it's lined up with the plans that God has for us? See, Romans 14, 7 and 8, Paul writes this, reminds us of this. We don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Isn't that kind of crazy? My life is not my own. Your life is not your own. See, I've been thinking about life and the frailty of it and um, just, just people I know that are sick or people who have passed away. And I look at my, I've been looking at my kids lately and watching how they're so grown up and they used to be little kids and like life is so short. And I read in that one book, I think it was like Crazy Love by Francis Chan. He said, 50 years after you die, no one will even remember who you were. Isn't that weird? 50 years after you, you're dead, no one's really going to remember you. I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, great, great grandkids do or whatever. But he's basically saying, like James is saying, your life is like the morning fog. It's here and then it's gone. So while we're here, what we have to do, what are we doing with it? And I got to understand that my life is not my own. The plans I make, everything that I do, it's not leaving that lasting of an impression unless I'm doing it for kingdom purposes. Unless I'm leading other people. Remember, the only thing we can take to heaven with us is other people. What am I doing with my time? My life is not my own. I belong to the Lord. My life, my money, my relationships, my, my marriage, my kids, my job, everything belongs to God. Why? Because he bought me at a high price. He sent his son to pay the price for my life. So I'm not my own. I don't belong to myself. Does my money management show that I'm under orders from someone else? The way that I spend my money, or am I focused on the money? It's all me, it's all me, manage, 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 invest, do whatever. Or am I saying, God, you know what? How do I use this for you? Because you're the boss, right? Look at Proverbs 16.9. Proverbs 16.9 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. You know what that tells me? God decides. I may think that I'm making decisions, but God decides. God, I like where my life is at. Here's me 10 years ago. God, I like where my life is at. I'm in California. I'm at this church and the youth group is growing and I'm happy. Our family is here. You're blessing us. This is really great. And God goes, I want you to move to Hawaii. Oh, God, come on. Let me take care of this one. Everything is going good. I'm making plans for my life. And God goes, yeah, but I determine your steps. Are you in this for me or are you in it for you? Do you belong to you or do you belong to me? And so, okay, God, we'll answer the call. And we got to make those decisions based on what is God calling. We come back here, we're blessed. God obviously proved he's smarter, he's better. But in everything, the decision to use my money wisely and what the things that I want to hoard and I want to have. You know, and someone, I remember this, this story because it, it hit hard so much in my, in my heart. Is that a few years back when I was a youth pastor and one kid had a broken surfboard and he didn't have money to get a new one. 
And God goes, give him one of yours. Okay, God, I'm listening to you. Your plans are, my plans are your plans. Cool, I'll give him one. I got one of these old ones here. Give him the new one. No, what? God, one of these old ones would be fine for this kid right here. He's, he's younger, you know, this. I'm totally, give, it's free. So I'm going to give him this, give him the new one. Ah, oh, right? And my plan is to be a good Christian guy and give him one of my old boards. And God is over here going, no, I determine your steps. I determine the amount of blessing that's going to come. You can be minimally, minimally blessed if you give your way, or you can be majorly blessed if you give my way. So here's my decision. What am I going to do? I got to give him the new one. The Wade Takoro surfboard, the brand new board, goes to this kid. And I gave it. And you know what? It hurt more giving that board away. I've given cars away. I've given two cars away. People have given me cars. I've given cars. There's other stuff I've given that's worth way more. But at that time, when that's the special one and that's what you do for your... Man, that one hurt. But God taught me a lesson. As soon as I gave it to him, all of that reluctance, and that pain, whatever, it just disappeared. And I got filled with joy. And I wanted to give more. I went, oh, can I give something else? This is good. I love this feeling. Give to this kid. He's like, what? No way. A Takoro? Oh my gosh. You know, and he was so stoked. And you learn this lesson that you can make plans, but let God determine your steps. Make sure your plans are his plans because they're better. They're so much better. See, I don't want to be the person that James said was evil, that was self-reliant, self-confident, self-centered. I want to be God-reliant. I want to be God-centered. I want to be God-confident. I don't want to be selfish. I want to be God-ish. Got that one? You can go ahead and quote me on that one. I want to be God-ish. Don't you want to be God-ish? See, selfish is focus on self. Godish is focus on God. I want to be, man, there's probably better words, godly, godlike, but godish is a cool word. I want to be godish. It's, it's, not, it's kind of like Jewish, not like elvish, but it's godish. I want to say, God, everything that I have is yours. I want to be able to give. I want to be able to give generously. I want to be give freely. I want to be godish. Yeah, you guys want to be godish too? You can be godish too. I'll let you. I give you permission. That's my word, but you can have it. Verse 17 says, James again, he says, remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. How many of you guys say, ouch, when you read that scripture? It's a sin to know the good that you ought to do and then not to do it. See, God gives us his word for a reason, to give us knowledge of right and wrong, to show us what to do. To, to, he's given us the Holy Spirit as our kind of convictor, as our leader into truth, as our guide. And when we know we're supposed to do something and then we don't do it, it's sin. It's not like an oversight. It's not like God says, you can obey me mostly, but in that area, you can just leave the money. Yeah, that's okay. Because see, that's what we want to do. God, I serve you. I go to church. I love on people. I read my Bible. But you know what? The money thing, I got it. It's cool, God. Take five. Go sit down. I got it. I'm good. I got this thing. Right? God says, you can't do that. You can't pick and choose. Does, Does God want a partially surrendered person or does he want a fully surrendered person? See, does that mean that if I love God and I'm committed to him and I want everything that he has for me, I got to give him everything that I have in return, right? Because if you want to be blessed, you got to give him something to bless. That means here's my money. Here's my tithes. Here's my kids. Here's my car. Here's everything, God. You have it all. It's a sin to, to know the good you ought to do and then not to do it. And here's what I want you to write down. Surrender everything to God, including your money worries. Surrender everything to God, including your money worries. Here's what Jesus had to say about our plans and our money, right? Because we've got to go right back to the source. James is really only re-talking about the things his older brother, Jesus, actually talked about already. Matthew six nineteen to 21, Jesus tells us this. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. 
and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, in the things of heaven, in the things of the kingdom of God, where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And then he says this in Matthew 6.33, the New King James Version. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these monetary, relational, everything, all the things that you're after, all these things shall be added unto you. Again, he's talking to Christians that need to be reminded that you want God to bless everything in your life? Give him everything in your life. Give him control. We are not in control. Partial obedience, a book that I read from Undercover by John Bevere, partial obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Here's everything in my life, God, except my money. You're cool with that, right? God's going, you know what? I've told you what to do with the money and stuff. For you to know what you ought to do and not to do it, that's disobedient. That's sin. And that hurts a little bit, right? Hit the person next to you and say, hey, you need to hear this. Go on, tell them right now. You need to listen to this right now. You need, no one wants to say it, right? But guess what? You're all right. Because the other person, we all need to hear this, right? It's hard to hear sometimes, but I want to be blessed in every area of my life. I don't want to give God 75%. I don't want to give him 99%. I want to give him 100%. And Jesus is saying, put everything first, and it's going to be added back to you. There's no such thing as partial obedience. You know what partial obedience will get you? It'll get you some rejection from God. And this is what I mean, disobedience from God. I'm not talking about God's wrath is going to strike you down, you're not going to be saved. But there's a story in 1 Samuel 15, where King Saul, Israel's first king, came around and God told him, you know what, as king, here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to completely wipe out this nation, the Amalekites, because they oppose my people and they've got nothing but evil in mind and they're going to do bad things. I want you, King Saul, I want you to wipe them out completely and just just destroy everything that's theirs, erase them from the face of the earth. And here's what King Saul said. Well, I conquered him in battle, I fought him, but I kept the king alive. And you know what? Some of my guys, they took all the good cattle and the good donkeys and the good treasures. And so they kept some of the the, the best stuff. But God, we killed everybody else and everybody else is wiped out. You know what happened? Samuel the prophet came by and basically he said this. Partial obedience is disobedience. You disobeyed God. No, I didn't. I wiped everybody out. All he kept was a king, you know, and some of the the treasure, just a little bit minor. And, And Samuel said this. Because you have disobeyed the Lord, God has rejected you as king. He anointed you as king. Now he's rejected you and he's picked someone better. And we all know that King David was the one to be picked because of Saul's disobedience, right? But that's just a lesson of, oh my gosh. God, when he really says he wants all, he wants all. And I don't want to settle for second best by holding something back from my God. See, I think that there's times when we need to tithe or give offerings or just give in general. I'm talking about generosity here when it's hard, and especially when it's hard. Write that down. You need to tithe and give, especially when it's hard to do. Especially. Because our excuse is, it's too hard to do right now, God, so I can't give, I can't bless, I can't tithe, I can't give offerings. And God's going, that's when you should tithe the most. You know why? Because in those hard times, when you're obedient to God and giving to God, then He comes through for you, it's a miracle. Wouldn't you agree? When it's hardest to give, and then you give reason for God to come through, God is setting you up to do a miracle in your life to prove that he is a good God, right? Because he can't do miracles if you're in control. I'm not going to tithe, so I'm going to manage my money all good. And then when that break comes along, I'm going to say, oh, it was me. God's going, you know what? If you would have trusted me when it was hardest to do, I was setting you up for a miracle. Remember the man born blind in scripture? 
And the disciples were walking by and they go, Jesus, Rabbi, was it, was it this guy's sin or his parents' sin that he was born blind all these years and he has to be blind? And Jesus goes, you know what? He was born blind so that the power and the glory of God could be revealed in his life. Boom, and he heals the guy. Well, why did he have to suffer all that time? Because God was setting him up for a miracle that would change his whole family and the whole community around him. You guys see what happened there? That God was smart in what he's doing. And there's times when we have to go, why am I suffering? Why am I struggling? You want me to give right now? I can't give. And God's going, no, I'm setting you up for a miracle. Because when I come through, you're going to realize that you were obedient to me. And that's what brought about the miracle. Does that make sense in your life? Maybe God is in a time right now of pruning, sharpening your faith. I think it's good to tithe and to be a giver, be generous in the hard times. It does something for us. Martin Luther King said this, the ultimate measure of a person is not where they stand in moments of comfort and convenience, but where they stand in times of challenge and controversy. Give when it's hard to give. You'll be blessed. Give when it's hard to give. That proves your character. That proves where your faith is at. Now, anybody can have faith when, when they've got abundance. God, sure, I'll give to this guy because I can spare it. What about the, the widow's might? The lady that walked by and she goes, this is all I have. And Jesus goes, she's more blessed than all of you rich people that gave. You can afford it. She's giving all she's got. She's blessed, right? That God wants to bless us for having true faith that it's in the hard times when we actually need to use it. That money doesn't always bring us happiness. Tithing when it's hard is when it's been most productive for me in my life. You know, the other, other night we were in a, we were in a hard situation. The, the power all went out, right? All the conveniences. How many of you guys lost power the other night? You know, Kailua, Kanyoi, other parts of the island. So we're without power for like an hour. No TV, no computer. My family's just sitting around. We don't know what to do, right? So we get a lantern and we come in and my, my son busts out a board game. I'm like, wait, those things still exist? Board games? There's no keyboard. There's no remote, you know, connected to it. It's just a game of, you know, whatever. So he busts out the board game and we start having this really good time with our family. And I'm just blessed. And I'm going, man, my family's cool. Oh, board games are cool. We don't need the TV all the time, right? And in the midst of the hardship of, oh, I'm struggling without, you learn to turn within and you learn to, to thrive on the relationships that are around you. The times when I've been without money the most, but I continued to tithe, I continued to be generous with the little that I still had, man, my family grew closer together. You get creative on what's fun and what's, what's real in life. And you start realizing, I don't actually need all that kind of stuff. And your faith gets stronger, because how many of you guys know when you don't have money, you're praying all the time, God, I need money, I need money, I need money, right? But you know what that does for your relationship with God? Boom, you're right there, you're connected. God, I need you, I need you, I need you. And God's going, that's where I like you. I'm going to take you there every once in a while. Even you who think you're all good and rich and happy and whatever, I'm going to take you there once in a while to remind you that you need me. Those are good times in my life. The hardest times to give have been the best times when I do give and God still comes through. I love I loved this kind of stuff. That happiness isn't always about money, but it's giving when it's hard because God's setting you up for a miracle. And then in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 to 12, where it actually talks about tithing, we realize that this isn't just a challenge to sur- surrender control, but when God says, be a generous person, give to me, give to my purposes, tithe, give offering, give blessings to other people, whatever, it's not just a challenge to see if we can do it. There's actually a safety net. Did you know that? There's a guarantee of blessing. Again, what I said is, you manage money your way, try your luck. Gamble it. See what happens. You manage money my way, there's a promise. There's a guarantee of blessing and protection. Look at Malachi 3.10. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. This is God talking. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, 
I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. God's actually daring us. I dare you. I dare you to let me bless you. Well, how do I got to do that? Oh, it's going to be a little bit hard. I'm asking of 10%. But I promise you, I will bless you. He says, if you do, your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I believe that giving God control of our money starts with tithing. And you can disagree, you can be offended at me or whatever, but you know what? Even if, seriously, even if you get offended because I'm talking about tithing, and think in your way that, oh, he's asking money for the church, that's lame, they're selfish, whatever, and you leave and you go to another church, I still would preach the same sermon to you. If you go to that church, tithe to that church. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It's not about the church, although God says the church is my vehicle and tool for blessing this world, so it needs to be provided for. But what's more important is this, this subject of who has control of everything in my life. So I have no problem teaching about tithing the same way I have no problem teaching about relationships, the same way I have no problem teaching about pride, anger. All of this that we're talking about today, James is talking about is it's a control issue. Are you willing to give control of every part of your life to God? If you do, here's God himself saying, I promise to bless you. I promise, and yet we're still scared to give him full control. All that God is after is a relationship. I love that in tithing, it's, it's an actual, tangible, physical number. For those of you guys that tithe, you, can, you know already, you can agree with me, it's easy once you get into the habit of it because you know it's like, does God have control of my money? Let me check. 10%. Boom. Yep, it's there. I wish it was that easy in my, my relationship with my wife, right? Are you being a good husband? Um, hug your wife 4.5 times a day. Tell her I love you. Take out the trash 18 times a year. Dude, you know, I wish there was numbers attached to relationships. Wouldn't it be easier? You know, like, how am I doing in the relationship? Well, here's a number. Oh, easy. But honestly, with money, it's such a good indicator for me because he just goes 10%. So I figured out, oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing exactly what he told me to do. It's a good indicator of where my heart is at. But here's what I want to end with. All God's trying to do, all James is telling us here, all Jesus is saying is, I want you guys to surrender control and create a culture of generosity to God, giving back to him, giving back to others around you. Because all God is interested in is a relationship with you. Let me end with this one story. How many of you guys know Carrie Krause, Carrie and Glenn Krause? They come to this church. They go to uh, Saturday night service, I think. And uh, they, uh, Carrie works on staff with us. She, she does our numbers and our accounting and stuff. And Carrie was sharing this story how she was wanting to exercise and stay in shape. And she, she wanted to take up stand-up paddling, you know, with the big boards and the paddles. And it's really good exercise. She wanted to take up paddling. And she wanted to get a board, but... She didn't know where to get a board, but she figured, wait a minute, my dad is a surfboard shaper. My dad can make me a board. But for all the years of her life, she's never let, she said, let her pride down enough to ask her dad to make her a board. Because she just thought, you know what, my dad makes boards. I don't want to make like, oh yeah, you should make me one. It was a pride thing, she said. But she said, you know what, I wanted to learn this stand-up paddling thing for exercise so bad, I finally went to my dad and I said, dad, can you shape me a board? And, And this is what she said that he said. He said, I'll, I'll make you a board if you come paddle with me. She's like, what? What? I don't know. I just want to just make me a board. I want to learn. You know, I want to do it myself. And he goes, no, no, here's the deal. You come paddle with me, and I'll shape you that board. So what happened is she humbled herself. She had to go over to where he's at. They go to Haleiwa Stream. And she's, for the past five months, she's been learning on, from an 18-foot board all the way down to like a 9-foot board. She's been learning to paddle with her dad. And he said this. 
you come, and here's how I'm going to teach you. I want you to get on your board, and I want you to go right in my wake. I want you to stay like one foot behind me, and I want you just to paddle and watch me and do as I do. And I promise you'll be blessed. You'll learn this new sport. It'll be great, and I'll end up giving you, you know, shaping that board. So she said she's been doing this, and all that her dad was actually trying to get out of this was a relationship with her, with a relationship with his daughter. You guys understand where I'm going with, with this, with tithing? Is God is saying, really, I could care less about your money, but do I have you? I just want to have you. I want to have you in every area of your life, and I know that money is one of the biggest things that takes you away from me, so I want to see, see if you can lay that down and come to me, because I want you. And, and as, as Carrie and her dad have been going for like five months, here's what she said. I don't think I even need him to shape me a board anymore. I don't think I even want the board because what I'm gaining from the relationship and the time spent, and I can borrow boards all the time, I'm just loving that I have this relationship with my dad again. And I thought, there is a perfect image of what God is after. And we can get offended at tithing, we can do whatever, but that's not the point. The point is God's just saying, come, paddle with me. Come do things my way. Come live life with me. Just give everything. Dedicate your kids to me. Give me control of your, your tithes and your offerings and your generosity. Give me, just give me all of you because that's all I'm after is I want to be with you. Is that making sense, guys? Let's end with that and let's pray and we'll get you out of here. Lord, we thank you so much, Father God, for your word that encourages us, Lord. Sometimes it steps on our toes, but in a good way, Lord, when we need to hear it. But I pray we'd be people of surrender. We'd be people of generosity. We'd be people that give first and foremost to you and to your purposes. Lord, I don't, I don't want to hold on to my money and manage it. Lord, I want you to manage me and my money. Lord, I want to lay it at your feet. I want to be blessed. I want to, I want to know what it is to sometimes sacrifice for you because, Lord, that shows me and it shows you how much I really love you, how, much, how far I'm willing to go to serve you. And, Lord, you always come through. You always, your, your promise, your safety net, the blessing is always there. In my life, Lord, there's been dry times. There's been abundant times. But you've always been right there. You've always taken care of me. You've always taken me to that next level. And I thank you for that. I pray that everyone in this room would learn that, Lord, if they don't know that already. Lord, especially in this holiday season with all the focus on money and sales and buying and all that, Lord, we'd understand that first and foremost, everything we have is yours. And Lord, we ask for your help to help us manage it. That we lay everything at your feet. And if you're someone in this room right now that has never entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never come to the place where you can actually say, God, here, all I am is yours. I want to know you. I want to really follow you. I want to be a Christian. I want all that this life has to offer for me. And you're here today. And I want to say a prayer with you. If that's the cry of your heart, God, I want to know you. I want to know that you died for my sins, that you forgive me and you accept me into your family. I want to say a prayer. And I'm going to say the words out loud. I'm going to ask that you would join me in this prayer. But you don't have to pray it out loud. You pray it in your heart because God judges you off your heart. Later on, you can confess it with your mouth, but right now he wants to know he's got your heart. And if you want to say that prayer just to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I would ask one thing. We're going to pray in a minute here, but right now the people around you, their eyes are closed, their heads are bowed. Can you let me know you want to pray that most awesome prayer of all eternity right now by just lifting your hand? Is there anybody here right now? Anybody? Lift your hand if that's the prayer that you want to pray. I'm looking around the room. Anybody at all? I see one hand. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Anybody else? Come on, this is the best decision you'll ever make. Are you raising your hand? Do it. Awesome. That's good. Amen. Anybody else? I see one one other hand here too. Three hands. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for these hearts. So good. If that was you that raised your hand, I want you just to go ahead and pray with me right now in your heart what I'm going to say out loud. God, I'm here today and I just realized that I think 
I need you. I want you. I want to try something new. I want to try to fix my life. I want to try to get close to you. And I believe that if I just say yes right now to you, Lord, that you're going to come close to me and you're going to change my life and you're going to do some cool stuff in my life. And so, Lord, I'm I'm asking you right now to be the Lord of my life. I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross for me. But I I can't have this relationship without believing that, that someone paid the price for my sins. So, Lord, I accept that. Lord, I thank you for that. From this day forward, I promise to live for you, to learn to pray, to read my word, to get baptized, to all the stuff, Lord. I just, I want to know you. I want more of you, Lord. I surrender my life to you because I believe you're smarter, you're bigger, you're better, you know what's up, and I trust you from this day forward. Thank you for loving me and thank you for accepting me as your kid for all of eternity right now. Thank you for this moment and this prayer. And in Jesus' mighty name, we all said, amen. And let's praise God for those three people this morning.